Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 461, Integration of Psychology and Christianity. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 7, your final unit for this class. Today we're going to be talking about personal integration and we're going to be talking about the biblical counseling model. So we're going to define personal integration. It's the organic ways that people integrate as a function of their personality and other individual characteristics in relationship to the living God. This is our personal growth. This is how the psychologist or the counselor grows personally, grows closer to God. And it's very much in line with a lot of what the transformational view talked about um, in our last unit. Um, the goal is personal growth and development. We're trying to gain integrity, becoming more like Christ, and to help the professional navigate conflicts. One of the biggest ways that we handle conflicts is through growth, through experiences, and through spending time with God and spending time in Scripture. So to help handle conflict, sometimes we have something called an exemplar or a model that we follow. This is someone that we just hold in high esteem due to how well they do their jobs. Paul encouraged others to find an exemplar. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I, am, as I am of Christ. In 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And in Philippians 4.9, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we see a biblical standard for having that model that we can follow. And in all these examples, Paul's encouraging believers to have that exemplar. In most cases, it's, he's saying, follow my model, because I'm trying to follow God, and I'm trying to be like Christ, so follow my model. So we can find exemplars in a number of different number of different avenues, whether you're in some type of integrative program at the graduate undergraduate level, internships, continuing educations, conferences, networking, things like that, even just reading journals focused on integration or books by authors. But within this exemplar relationship is often a mentor mentee relationship. And mentorships are meant to be bi-directional, meaning that both have something to gain from the other. Both end up growing professionally um, through that relationship. And again, you see these hints of the transformational model of integration, where personal integration holds that the clinician must mature and grow spiritually. Um, it sees spiritual maturity as influencing the outcome of therapy. And we just have to understand that spiritual formation is just one of the many elements of personal growth. Um, it could be working on patience, or it could be working on uh, grace or mercy, which is also spiritual, but it's just more than just knowing your Bible. Um, it's this personal growth as, a, as an individual that then impacts our um, professional lives. And so it can lead to us working with those who are more marginalized groups. 
and those facing injustice. Hathaway and Yarhouse um, spend a pretty good bit of time in the book talking about um, helping those who face injustice. And um, this includes all different types of ethnic, ethnic groups, your widows, the unborn, single mothers, homeless, um, thus just a few examples of marginalized groups. And so they start talking about something called EDI, equity, diversity, and multicultural issues. Multicultural issues is something that has just exploded within psychology and counseling and has taken a very big um, emphasis on. And so this is a framework that helps shape policies. So it starts looking at things like diversity um, and the different facets of a person, how it contributes to an overall life experience. For instance, sex, race, socioeconomic status, etc. Um, and it leads to this concept called intersectionality, which at its core just states that the different facets of a person can impact a person's experience. So for instance, um, a male may have a different experience than a female and someone who is um, in poverty, for instance, may have a different experience than someone who is rich. And so a rich male and a woman in poverty would have two different perspectives, have two different experiences. And a rich woman and a woman in poverty would have two different experiences. And that's at the core all intersectionality is stating. Um, the authors embrace the aspirations of intersectionality as opposed to embracing the, the approach wholeheartedly. Their point is simply that personal growth develops a heart for those facing injustices while considering the factors that lead to that injustice, um, whatever those factors are. And this is becoming a, a hot topic in today. It's becoming a hot topic in politics. But we can take the politics out of that and recognize that there are factors in people's lives that lead to injustice. And as psychologists and counselors, we can recognize what those are and then minister to people in, the, in, in need who are facing injustice. And so the benefit of this type of growth is a professional who's able to engage in things like policymaking at the highest levels. When we're able to, to grow personally, when we can recognize the injustices, and this gets into role integration a little bit, but we're able to engage at the highest levels of policymaking. And this is where we need Christians. We need Christians who are willing to get to those levels and do what it takes to engage with the policymakers to help shape policies um, so that we can help make sure that the policies are following biblical truths that we're able to either implicitly or explicitly guide these these discussions and be involved in policy making. Jeremiah 22 3 says, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the, father, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So there's a biblical precedent set for us to minister to those facing injustice and for us to then work with them at all levels, whether it is at the highest level of policymaking or working individually with those people. 
So when we start talking about personal integration, change occurs at the head knowledge level, but also at the heart knowledge level. Head knowledge is what we believe to be true. Heart knowledge is what we actually feel. And this gets back all the way to worldview when we start talking about the functional versus the theoretical, what we say believe, what we say we believe, but what we actually do. And so the heart knowledge level is what we feel about God. Head knowledge is what we know about God. And we've got to see change in both. Um, and so and that change has to reflect the nature of Christ. We have to practice holiness. We have to see that change in our nature and being guided by the Holy Spirit. And so Hathaway in your house to give a practice is audit. This is on pages 169 through 170. Um, but what are some of the most significant habits and practices that really shape your actions and attitude? What does your time look like? How do you spend your time? What are you immersed in each week? Um, how much time is spent doing different sorts of activities? Um, <clears throat> what do you think are the most important ritual forces in your life? Are these positive or negative? Um, what do you think are some of the most potent practices in our culture? If you step back and look, are there some habits and practices you might have originally thought were neutral or thin, but upon further reflection, you see them as thicker and more significant? Is there any way in which you see worship as a thick habit, meaning it's taking a very prominent role in your life? How so or how not? If Christian worship is a thick practice or very prominent part of your your life, what do you think are its most significant competitors? And so um, that is role integration in a nutshell. Um, we're looking at that personal growth. We're trying to identify those people who are um, facing injustice. And we do that through that personal growth. We develop a heart for these people and we try to minister to them. And we try to grow and be guided by the Holy Spirit. And we're always assessing to see how we're following Christ. In what ways do we need to grow more? And this is the last and one of the most crucial elements of integration. If we're going to do good integration, we always have to be growing personally closer to Christ and becoming more like him. So we're going to shift over very briefly to talk about the biblical counseling model. Um, with the biblical counseling model, it sees scripture as the ultimate authority for counseling. They see scriptures having infinite psychological, um, sorry, infinite psychological wisdom is meaningless without God in focus. In other words, the whole impact of, or the entirety of all of psychological research is meaningless if it doesn't come from a Christian worldview. Because God created all things, including every little detail of our personalities. Therefore, being known by God is to be fully human. Now, one of the arguments that people often make about biblical counseling is that they reject all science and psychology. That's actually not true. It's a caricature to say that, although they do reject a lot of psycho psychological research. Hmm. It's instead, they see the psychological research and they just get different conclusions, is what they'll say. Um, biblical counseling sees its theory of man and personality is more encompassing than that of psychology. Um, they just see the science 
the scientific research is flawed. It gets all the way back to worldview. Um, faulty worldviews of science miss the mark for understanding humans. Can the research even be trusted? Because, again, psychology is coming from naturalism. It's coming from humanism. It's coming from that pantheistic monism. And can we really trust research that leaves no room for God? And then we're just going to Christianize that and adopt it. So with all five models, worldview is at the core of the issue. We're looking at the authority of Scripture and what that means. We're looking at the application of Scripture, how to use Scripture. To what degree do we use Scripture? Um, the issue with any integrative model is that opposing worldviews are trying to be reconciled. Um, so with biblical counseling, they're not trying to reconcile opposing worldviews. They're just using a Christian worldview, and science um, does not have much transformative impact on a biblical Christian psychology. So some of the pros, it is seeking authentic an authentic biblical approach to counseling, a very high view of scripture. And there's a lot of people in biblical counseling that are doing really good work. And um, that's easy to miss because it's so heavily criticized by those who want to do some form of integration. And I think we have a lot to learn from our biblical counseling friends. They do a lot of really good work in showing the important scripture can have on different issues. Now, some of the cons, some of the weaknesses, it can overlook helpful psychological resources and research. Scripture is not exhaustive on every issue or even every facet of man. And there's no complete unity of scriptural understandings and beliefs. And this is not on the slides, but one of the other criticisms given, um, I think, by the integrative author is that the issue given, the example given, because in the chapter, if you'll recall, because um, I'm assuming you've read, if not, go back and read, um, but in that chapter, they give a case study of a person that they use biblical counseling with, but one of the big arguments is that that's a case study that biblical counseling worked really well for, and it would not have worked as well for someone with a different presenting problem. And so it doesn't actually show how it can um, address some of the more severe issues that a person may face. And so there are some cons, but you can't miss the pros of the biblical counseling movement. Um, there's so much for us to learn and for us to gain from those in that field. So we have talked about personal integration. We've talked about the importance of spiritual formation, and we've talked about the biblical counseling model. So make sure you finished your reading. Make sure you answer your discussion. You, you do your discussion questions and complete your final exam. Remember, it's all essay format. So you need to be familiar. So for your study guide, here's your study guide. So make sure you're paying attention. Be familiar with the different models of integration. Be able to discuss the strengths and weaknesses of each. Um, be, be able to give an overview of the different models 
and be able to give strengths and weaknesses of each. Be ready to articulate your model of integration and be prepared to discuss each of the five domains, including the importance of worldview. You may also want to make sure that you can um, talk about explicit and implicit um, integration and potentially give an example of those. If you can study those things, you're going to do great on your final. Just remember, it's all essay, and so you have a lot of room to write. Um, and so make sure that you give thorough answers on that final to make sure that you can get full credit for those. Again, if you have any questions, talk with your professor. Make sure you've gotten all of your papers submitted. Make sure you get all those discussion boards done, all of your quizzes done, and all of your reading done. And I hope that you have enjoyed this class. Um, I hope it's been beneficial for you. And again, just hold, um, stay strong, hang in there, and you'll do great. Thanks.